0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Well, we're seeking to be in a season of encouragement. We pray that last song. That's a nice pick-me-up, isn't it? In a time where that's so needed. All our hope is in Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Well, we do need hope. Uh, This past week... Past couple of weeks have been uh, so uh, unusual, and let's just call it what it is, difficult too for so many different reasons across our world, across our continent, and even within um, our own nation. been a, a range of emotions for me as I look across the landscape of this world. Um, I've been saddened by the brokenness of our world, the impact of sin, that's what it is, um, is so devastating at times of this week too. I've just been personally broken by it, um, broken over um, the things that we are looking at and the need that is so immense. I've also been grieving for those who hurt, uh, grieving for the, uh, those suffering loss and those suffering the loss of life those who are dealing with present hurts and those who are also dealing with generational hurts. I've been angered at injustice, as you have. I've been angered at specifically racism. I've been deeply impacted um, at times with empathy and sympathy, particularly to our brothers and sisters who are African-American or African-Canadian. I've been greatly troubled with um, the anarchy that we've seen, the violence, the mass confusion, the chaos. But here's what I also know. Every single one of these statements or comments or observations, every single one of these is a cry for justice. Every single one of these, in some form, in some way, is a, a huge cry for redemption. Redemption. Now hear me, I'm not commenting on the motives here. Um, I can't know the motives of individuals and what's happening. I'm not commenting on definitions even of justice right now. There's so many different ways that could be defined. But what I am saying is all of these examples, statements, observations, all of them are the groaning of creation for redemption Um, Creation groans to be redeemed. Humanity is groaning through every one of these observations. Humanity is groaning uh, from the devastation and curse of sin. That's what I am most commenting on, grieved by, and pained about. God help us. And listen, God use us. God help us, and God use us. This week, our world has been dominated by news of injustice, protests, and riots. And I just want you to remember, too, that this message is recorded a few days before it actually is shown on Sunday. And so how much news can change in a couple of days? And so what I'm commenting on now, who knows what the world will be like three days from now? Just important to be reminded of that. And then I open up Acts 19 for study this week, and the subtitle of this passage in the ESV translation, the subtitle of our passage is A Riot at Ephesus. And I'm like, really? That's remarkable. I mean, honestly, isn't it? Of all the weekends of the year, this one right now, our passage, the subtitle and within the text itself is A Riot in Ephesus. And then as I looked in detail in our text, and honestly, as our week went along, I believe the Holy Spirit has powerful wisdom for us today in Acts chapter 19. In fact, here is our sermon title. It's Wisdom and Encouragement Even Within Riots, because that's what's happening within our text. We're going to see wisdom and encouragement even within riots. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be clever. I'm just trying to be biblical. That's right here in our text today. This is such an important time. Um, Lord, speak to us. You know, a, a, a passage that meant a lot to me this week from Psalm 90 is when the psalmist says, Lord, establish the work of our hands. And he repeats himself as emphasis is needed to his plea for what only God can do. He says, yes, Lord, establish the work of our hands. We pray for that now. Join me. Would you, Father, we do pray you would establish the work of our hands right now in the sermon among our church family within the gospel desire for this community, province, nation, world. God, when you establish, things change. If it's left to us, nothing will change. We pray, Lord, even now, would you help me, please, so much right now. Help us right now so much. Establish the work of our hands in wisdom and bring encouragement. The range of emotions for all those who are watching is so varied. The need for truth is the same. That is so common. The need for truth to shine in love and grace right now. We pray you will do that and bring it through this timing of this text. Here and now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so hopefully you're sitting up straight. I know you're probably sitting on a couch somewhere. Sitting up straight and hopefully you're wondering this question. What wisdom does God have for me within a text of subtitle is A Riot at Ephesus? And I'm wondering that too. So... Let's get started, Then let's start with Acts chapter 19. We'll read three verses, Acts 19, verse 21. Take a look with me there. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit. What a beautiful phrase. He resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for um, a while. He stayed in Asia for a while. So I want to jump right into point number one here as we learn from these verses here. Number one is this: the Holy Spirit will always create resolve within us. The Holy Spirit, Is the one who will always create resolve within us. I think this is so needed in our day. I'm so glad this is here right now. So look at verse 21. Did you notice the connection between the Holy Spirit and the word resolved? The Holy Spirit and resolved. What we have here in the original Greek is a combination of Paul's personal resolve and the direct leading of the Holy Spirit. So you have two wills being attested to within the text. Paul's resolve in his will, but also the will of the Holy Spirit being presented here too. So Paul is resolved in the Spirit in verse 21. Notice also in the verse, Paul says, he says, I must, I must also see Rome. Um, look at the word must There. Uh, The word must, again in the original, indicates both by position in the sentence and emphasis within its intent. It indicates a divinely directed necessity of traveling to Rome. Again, that emphasis is placed in the original Greek. So what we have here is you have Paul saying, I must, and his resolve, again, to go forward in the, in the will of the Holy Spirit, but you also have here the divinely directed, again, direction that the Spirit is giving to Paul as well. So again, there's a, presented for us here, there's a combination of wills, Paul's will, yet totally aligned with the will of the Holy Spirit. I was listening to a sermon of Reverend Zacharias this past week again, who passed away just a couple of weeks ago now. We miss him so much. And in his sermon, he said this. He said, one of the greatest, I'll paraphrase, one of the greatest gifts that God gives to us is personal will. And that is so true. God loves us enough. He loves us. He lets us pursue his will. And he also lets us reject his will. I mean, you and I have done that even this week, haven't we? opportunities to pursue the will of God, and and we've also taken actions to reject the will of God in our lives. And that's what God's love. He doesn't make us into robots. A gift He gives to us, yet one of the greatest blessings and joys in our lives as we mature in Christ is to find out that when we submit our will to God's will, that's when we find our highest joy and experience some of our greatest blessings. So, as you look at Paul here in this verse described in verse 21, don't you admire and long for the conviction of his life, the urgency of his life, the clear direction upon Paul's life? Don't you, when you look at that, you see he's like, I must, I'm resolved, I know, I'm going, I'm clear, my purpose is certain. I mean, don't you want that too? At the end of the day, don't don't you want that more than just sitting on the couch day after day after day after day? To get to the end of your life and to be able to say, I walked in the path that God had for me. To be able to live your life with certainty. To be able to have phrases such as, I am resolved and I must do this again to define your life in the will of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't you want that honestly? Honestly? Honestly, like I'm not talking about your flesh right now. I'm talking about the Spirit of God within you. Your flesh might be like, no, man, I don't want to sit here and do nothing. But the Spirit of God within you, if he's really in you, he's like, yeah, yeah, we want that. We want that purpose and direction and, and conviction of our lives. Listen, we want that. <coughs> you can have that. You can live this way. Believe me by God's word. This is what the Holy Spirit wants for all of us, not just Paul. You know, Jonathan Edwards, he was an exceptional man, one of the greatest theologians of all time. An incredible mind for God's truth, and yet, an incredible affection and heart for the Lord Jesus Christ as well, which again, which is why he was so powerfully used. So smart in some ways, but so so much affection and love for God is really what drove him. So Jonathan Edwards... He devised a list of 70 resolutions that would lead his life towards Christ. He developed them again, 70. Every resolution started with the phrase, I resolve. Here are two of the resolutions that led Jonathan Edwards. Number six and number 17, you can look at them up on your own and read them. It's a wonderful exercise. Number six, he said this Resolved to live with all my might while I do live. That's good. He says, I'm resolved to live with all my might while I do live. And how about this one? He says, resolve that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. That's wise. And Resolve that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I had come to die. In other words, man, I, I live my life in such a way, no regrets. I, I, when I come to die, I look back and I, I have lived in the way that I desire that I have lived at the end of my life in the pursuit of Christ and the desire. Notice the resolution, the resolve in the spirit to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we just pause for a second here? Can we we notice what is such an important principle for life and observation in history too? That of all the great men and women of God in history, every one of them, the intentionality, the determination the discipline, the submission, the resolve towards the full leading of the Holy Spirit. So, you and I right here in this text right now, we have two choices, I believe, today. One, we can continue to slouch in the couch and just waste our lives away. We can, we can continue to do that. Or number two, you can know the thrill of God's will. I'll say it again. Two choices, ultimately, today. You can continue to slouch in the couch or you can know the thrill of God's will. Listen, listen. The Holy Spirit will always create resolve within us in the pursuit of Christ and His power seen through our lives. Think of how much that is needed in our day among the church. Um, our Truth in Trouble time segment this week with Daniel Henderson. He said this. I love it so much. Again, I hope to get it right. He says again, the failure in our day, again, it is not the pervasiveness of darkness, But rather, it is the failure of the light within the church. That's so good. That's the grievance of our day. It's not the pervasiveness of darkness. It's the failure of the light to be seen through the church. I want to make this very clear, too. Your expectation right now for resolve might be to put resolve on me or our leaders But I want to make sure I give you the invitation that God's resolve would be in us all. If we are all resolved in the Spirit, wow, what happens through the church? And trust me, I am so encouraged by the resolve of so many of you within this church family. The resolve to love, the resolve for truth, the resolve for grace, the resolve for compassion, the resolve for unity, the resolve for the gospel, the resolve for evangelism, the resolve for Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. God, more, 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 and more. The Holy Spirit, that's what he does in us. Let's keep moving. Point number two is this. The gospel will always create disturbance. It will always create disturbance. You're like, wait, 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 wait. God's will or God's gospel is disturbing in a word? Yes. Let's find out more. Verse verse 23, okay? About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, capital W. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and says, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that God's made God's made with hands are not God's. And there is danger not that this trade, only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed of her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Okay, so talk about a disturbance. Notice this, church. Notice, where the gospel goes, the gospel disturbs for the glory of God, I might add. I love how the ESV translates this in verse 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance. That's a funny way of saying that. That's an understatement, isn't it? Notice the capital W, the way. Notice in verse 23, what is the way? That's the Christian church. That is the impact of the gospel. It is once again. It is once again turning things on their head. Look at the gospel go forward. It just. It doesn't leave people the same. It doesn't leave, in this case, communities the same either. We are introduced to Demetrius. He's a silversmith. He um, focuses largely on making idols. Silver is a huge deal within Ephesus. This Greek goddess um, Artemis, who they worshipped, again, such a focus of emphasis, again, with the city of Ephesus, as you can see right here in our text. The temple of the great goddess Artemis is mentioned in verse 27. Take a look. This temple was actually considered to be one of the great seven wonders of the ancient world. This temple to the goddess Artemis, temple Artemis, it was the largest building in existence at that time. So here comes the gospel, massively transforming, and notice as the gospel transformed in this context and every context, it will be idol smashing, it will be economy changing, and it will even result in business suffering. The gospel impacts every form of Society, when it is truly held and the Holy Spirit comes through again, bringing good and conquering evil and healing and life change and love and grace and truth and restoration and regeneration and reconciliation. This is what the gospel does. What an awesome example of the supernatural impact of the gospel. Notice in our text here, the gospel confronts. The gospel convicts. And the gospel compels. And when that happens, listen, when that happens, some people are overjoyed with life and some people, as in Demetrius, are going to be overrun with anger. And in this case, because Demetrius, his own idols are being threatened, the idol of money, the idol of his own business. Notice here too in our text, notice the the stupidity of idolatry. Demetrius' argument to the people is that Artemis, this great goddess, is in danger of being counted as nothing and her temple in that way. That she may even be deposed of her magnificence, the text says, or derived of her worship. But wait a second, time out, time out. This amazing, powerful goddess Artemis, she needs a silversmith to defend her honor? If she's so great and awesome, can't she do it herself? (coughs) Excuse me, that's how silly idolatry is but here's the point loved ones where the gospel goes the gospel disrupts and the gospel disturbs always i remember the um, story of george whitfield one of my preaching heroes he was preaching after his ordination and people started complaining that george whitfield's preaching caused 15 people to become insane amen (laughs) they lost their mind for jesus christ the godly bishop who was receiving these complaints, his response was, in godliness, I wish all preachers had the same impact. Amen. How about in Acts 19 from last week, we went through this passage, and we learned that magic arts books were being burned to the tune and the amount of 50,000 pieces of silver. The gospel disturbs, man. The gospel disrupts. <coughs> How about those awesome stories of revival where pubs are shut down and taverns emptied? Why? Because everyone's in church. Because the gospel is transforming towns. After the Welsh revival, in which 100,000 people came to Christ in nine months in 1904 and 1905, here's one of the quotes I was commenting on this time in this period of revival the mighty unseen breath of the spirit was doing in a month more than centuries of legislation could accomplish the gospel disturbs the gospel transforms the gospel does what no other part of society no other method no one else can do or accomplish it's by the spirit of god the gospel creates a glorious disturbance then we think of William Wilberforce in the fight for the abolition of slavery, his good friend and counterpart John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, who used to be a slave ship captain. Both of them massively transformed by the gospel; their hearts completely turned around, and their love for God and their love for humanity, it comes forward. And both of them used powerfully. But Wilberforce, the gospel so took hold of his heart, his affections so turned to Christ, his love and the value of every human being made in the image of God, he was single-handedly used by God's Spirit to change England. For the span of decades over his life, he fought for, and three days before he died, he saw the abolition of slavery again in England. Incredible. The impact of the gospel, creating love, resulting in dignity, The gospel leading to reconciliation. The gospel, when it's truly received, leads to the sacrifice for brothers and sisters across this world. Regardless of race and gender and socioeconomic background. It it, it compels us in love to embrace, to receive, again to love. Think of of the gospel in the book of Acts that we've gone through. I mean, the book of Acts is really one massive disturbance of this world. (laughs) Just going through it again, story after story, the disturbance that has literally changed the world as we know it even to today, a disturbance of love, a disturbance of grace, a disturbance of truth, a disturbance of life change. Man, the gospel will always create a disturbance. Listen. The disturbance of sin, the disturbance of evil, the disturbance of idolatry, the disturbance against worldliness, against hatred, against racism, a disturbance, again, against death itself, a disturbance against evil. That's what the gospel does. It's what it results in. It's what's happening here in Acts 19. It's what's happening in our day today. Across this world, Jesus Christ building his church and bringing disturbance of lives changed for his glory. I love to, you know, in the midst of all that's happening in our day today, I just, I, I love reminding myself in our church family right here, we have over 50 ethnicities represented in our church. The world is before us. It's one of the things I miss most in preaching right now, you know, sadly, I think I'm getting used to preaching to no one. I, I caught a, a glimpse of a video clip of one of our former services this week while there was preaching happening and there was actually people in the seats. And honestly, my heart pained for that. I, I, I'm watching the preaching and I get to look at people and we're there together and such diversity. So, you know, there's over 80 different languages represented in our church. Such a community of diversity, but unity. It's so beautiful. We are so blessed. God has graced us so much with such, again, diversity, but love. And man, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, all this physical distancing, man. But I pray we are able to hug again. One of my favorite parts of being in this church over 16 years now is hugging and embracing brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ from such varied backgrounds, but so unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in some cases, that is the greatest disturbance we could ever have. Let me ask you this just before we move on. The gospel always creates a disturbance of good, whether the world sees it as that or not. Has the gospel created a disturbance through your life? Has there been a holy disturbance Created through the gospel from your life. Again, hear me. I'm defining disturbance here. a Disturbance of love. A disturbance of grace. A disturbance of truth. A disturbance of Christ-centered conviction. Because if we're following Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit resolved in His will, our lives will be used to create a disturbance of grace and truth and love. God, may it be so. Point number three is this. The enemy wants to create rage, confusion, and deafness. Look at what happens now in verse 28. Notice the rage, the confusion, and deafness. Verse 28. Now, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with the confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him, and even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends... Of his sent to him and urging him not to venture into the theater. You got to love Paul's heart there, but wisdom prevailed for that scene. Verse 32. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. Listen to this. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander. Whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. Verse 34, but when they recognized he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. All right, so here we have this riot breaking out in Ephesus. Now I want you to notice here, ultimately, Behind this riot and chaos and confusion, behind this ultimately is the work of Satan opposing the gospel here in Acts chapter 19. He does this in three main ways. Notice the work of Satan. See if you can apply that again to our time um, and our day. Number one, the tactic of the enemy is rage, according to our text right here. They were enraged. At the thought of Artemis being offended or disgraced. Anger and rage is what Satan delights in. Um, think of the crowd shouting to Pilate at the trial of Jesus. Crucify him! Crucify him! Filled with rage and hate and the desire and just um, appetite for murder of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And sinful anger and rage so often lead to violence or great hostility or serious hurtful division and disorder. And we will see in a moment where there's rage, there's there's no listening, there's no real communication, there's just vitriol. The tactics of the enemy is rage. Secondly, confusion. Notice the result of the confusion in the midst of the riot. Look at verse 29. It says the city was filled with confusion. Look down to verse 32. For the assembly was in confusion. In fact, half the people didn't even know why they were there and why they were even raging. The enemy loves confusion. The enemy uses lies to create as much confusion as possible. Notice in verse 29, the city in confusion, they rush together into the theater. There's pandemonium, there's chaos, there's confusion. Confusion, listen, confusion is and has always been such a great weapon of the enemy. Why? A society confused is a society lost. Is a society wandering with no real direction and aimless pursuits? And from one thing to the next with no purpose or meaning or, again, compass to guide them as to the purpose of their lives. In our day, I'll just want to confess to you, I get so overwhelmed at times with the infinite amounts of messaging and media that at times I literally can feel the attack upon my heart and soul and I just have to stop. It's it's too overwhelming, there's too much, it's 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 too confusing, it's too mixed, it's just it just bombards, it's just just it's shouting, voices, noise, 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 noise. And I'd have to shut it off. And then I had listen, I have to run to truth. I have to run. This is all I can trust at times. This is all we can trust ultimately. <laughs> this is what guides us. This is our compass. This is the lamp to our feet, a light to our path. This is the sure word. This is our direction. This is our truth. This is our pointing of our salvation and godliness, making us wise. It's our wisdom. The word of God is our protection and our lighthouse. Loved ones, be very wary of confusion. Do not buy in. Do not get sucked in. To just responding without even thinking, and the confusion—what is really happening right now? It was happening here. It's happening in our society today. There was rage. There was confusion. The enemy loves, and then results in this deafness. Deafness. Look at verse thirty-two, where there's anger and confusion and hostility. There's almost always deafness. What the people—they won't listen. Um, this reminds me of the death and murder of Stephen. Where it says the Jews literally, when he was speaking and confessing Christ in the midst of them, they literally stopped their ears and rushed at him to kill him as quickly as possible. They literally, the text says that. And in Acts 7, they just did, they, they, they stopped their ears and rushed at him in rage. In our text, it says, for two hours they cried out, for two hours, great as Artemis of the Ephesians, they wouldn't listen, they just yelled. They just yelled. Why? Because the enemy is so afraid of people actually listening. Why? Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So a society that is constantly shouting and never listening is a society in terrible danger. It's a society that is terribly lost. And personally, this is the part which saddens me the most. As I look across our society, not just in recent weeks, but recent months and years, it seems like nobody's listening anymore. It seems like everyone's just shouting. There's no time to stop and maybe be rational and just to actually seek the truth and to know the facts. Everyone's just shouting, no one's listening. And what saddens me so much, and yes it's true in this past week when you watch that, what saddens me so much, if no one, if no one listens anymore, there's really no hope. Progress cannot be made. It's impossible. And it makes you say, we are really in danger. And yet, God is really sovereign. And Jesus Christ is really building his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the Holy Spirit's really strong and really good at presenting truth. And the light of the gospel is really powerful. Actually the power of the gospel for salvation for everyone who believe and hear the word of Christ. So in that sense, as much as it can be so sad and disheartening, on the other end you're like wow, what an opportunity for Jesus Christ to break through in such glorious ways. So we have a very tough challenge in front of us, but quietly and powerfully and profoundly the Lord is working. Take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus says, and we say amen. We say amen. So we've seen through our text today, what an interesting passage, isn't it? And our fourth point is this, we move on from the taxes of the enemy, point number four is this, we must always pray for peace, truth, and order. The peace of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the order that comes from the gospel. Look at verse 35. When the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you, are brought, for you have brought these men who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls." Let them bring charges against one another, but if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Wow, what a roller coaster, huh? What a roller coaster through this. And so things, eventually, they settle down, and it seems like order is restored, and, and cooler heads prevail, and there's a sense of like, and just... And it kind of gives you hope. And as we jump into Acts 20 next week, Lord willing, we'll see then the gospel continues and, and Jesus Christ continues to work through his disciples. And what I want to do as we end our message right now is I want to end our time um, with prayer. I want, to, I want to use this last portion of this chapter here. And I want to turn us to pray where we are in our homes. Maybe we can join someone online. We can call someone if we're by ourselves and use this to pray. Maybe we want to pray again by ourselves as well to pray as families. Again, this is a little bit awkward for some. That's okay. But we can use this right now. We're going to get five minutes. There'll be a countdown on the screen for you. In just five minutes, you can pause it if you need to. But I want to take the message right now. Take a deep breath. I want us to sit and consider and to pray these things. May the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you create resolve within us for the will of God? Resolve. A Holy Spirit resolve. May the gospel create and use us to create a holy disturbance with our lives. A holy disturbance. A beautiful disturbance. Let's pray that the tactics of the enemy be delivered from us. Rage, confusion, uh, noise, again. May those tactics and the inability to hear in deafness, And this Most of all, may the peace and truth of Christ be known among us in our town, our cities, our province, our nation, our continent, our world. So we're gonna take five minutes. I encourage you. I take this time to pray where you are through this and really believe it. Oh, Lord, would you use it? So I just pray for us. Father, I pray you use this time to bring massive faith, encouragement, and blessing. Take this passage, spread it wide, spread it deep. Holy Spirit, give us a resolve even now to pray to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take five minutes, and we'll be back to respond with our song. Everyone, good? Great. So just ready for benediction now? Okay. All set? Take two. I turn myself off. Church family, our sincere prayer is that you've been encouraged again today. We are, of course, in our series, the church encouraged, even in the midst of what can be discouraging times. Man, the gospel encourages. In case you missed our prayer meeting this week, There is not going to be a prayer meeting the next two weeks. We're taking a bit of a break. We finished the 5G life, but we also made a very exciting announcement at the end of the prayer meeting, and some of you weren't there. So here's what you need to know Lord willing, on June 24th, we're going to be holding a baptism service as a church, which is going to include, I know, woo, that's so awesome. It's so awesome. It's going to include some baptisms that we will record uh, like the day before. And it's going to end, Lord willing, big Lord willing here, right? There's a lot of logistics involved. It will end with live baptisms from multiple locations that we're going to be joining together and celebrating and seeing how the gospel's bringing disturbance into people's lives. Amen. June 24th, details to come. Pray for us. You're like, how do we baptize in the midst of physical distancing? I know it's a challenge. We can do it, though. We can do it. So uh, we're so excited and hope you are encouraged by that. We pray hundreds and hundreds of us will watch and cheer on and celebrate the disturbance, the holy disturbance of the gospel in so many people's lives. Here's our benediction today from the words of Jesus Christ himself. He says this, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That comforts me. I pray that comforts you. Hey, love you. Miss you, so thankful for you, amen.